0: You are listening to The Cumberland Road, and I'm your host, T.J. Melonofsky. This episode's Faith Conversation is with Rev. Dr. Courtney Kruger, minister at the Chattanooga First Cumberland Presbyterian Church. Raised Baptist, attended a Baptist college, a United Methodist seminary, and a Presbyterian seminary for his doctorate. Courtney has a unique ecumenical aura and a perspective that informs his ministry. Courtney comes to this conversation with energy and passion, and I imagine that this is his approach to all things, and it makes for great dialogue. So sit back and enjoy this journey on Cumberland Road with Courtney Kruger. you are involved in a racing sport called ride and tie what is ride and tie
1: so ride and tie is the only sport in the world that i know of that the team is two human beings and one horse There's are sports that have one horse and one person or two people or whatever, but two people and a horse. And it is a race, it's usually a fairly long race, anywhere from 25 to 100 miles. I've never done a 100 mile race, 50 is the most I've done. I've only done a couple of those. And uh, the way it works is, uh, and it's usually in the woods or, or some kind of a marked course in, in the wilderness, it's not a, not a street uh, race uh the the race starts and you got one team member on the horse and one team member on foot and the 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 race starts we kind of tease and say the cavalry goes first and the infantry follows as the (laughs) horses are a lot faster of course than people and so they they head on out and and the rider will go about a mile uh down the course and then tie the horse to the tree and meanwhile the runner is somewhere back behind and coming along and when the runner catches up to the horse Uh, he'll he or she will untie the horse and and take off and then go catch the rider and then we usually flop down to or switch down to about half a mile ties and so you're running for half a mile and either finding the horse and untying the horse and then and riding and usually if if you get in a pretty good pattern uh, by the time you catch your runner they've gone about a half a mile and then you just switch right there together and then, then they go again and tie the horse Uh, And um, I started the sport uh, about 12 years ago. I I was a mountain biker and my wife and my daughter were riding horses. And my daughter found out about riding time. She was 14 at the time. And she came to me and said, Dad, if you'll learn how to ride a horse, I'll start running and we can be a team. Now your fourteen year old daughter says, "I want to be on a team with you." There's only one answer, and right. that is, "You, I, I'm in." So I have not I have not ridden a mountain bike much since then, I and a lot of running, a lot of horse riding since then. <laughs> um, she went off to college, and she hasn't been my partner much over the last few years. But I've kept going, and uh, uh, because it's a small sport, and I, I I make sure to say because it's a small sport, uh, this year I became had my seventh uh, national points championship. Uh I've I've had six man-man team national points and one man-woman team national points championships. Uh and and that is the it's kind of like stock car racing. You get points for how many races you complete, how many miles you go, how many, how many teams you come in ahead of, that kind of thing. Uh and so I'm a seven time national champion. I like to brag about that a little bit. But again, it's because the sport's so small that the competition's not quite like <laughs> NASCAR or something else. So that's that's riding down in a nutshell.
0: Well, that sounds pretty exciting. Do the competitions happen all over the United States? Or are they more local to you?
1: They do. They they started in California. Levi Strauss Company invented the sport in uh, fifty two years ago, and uh, uh, it spread to the east about twenty five or so years ago. and it's just exploded in the east, and it's actually bigger right now in the east than it is in the west. But it's it's mostly on the coast, but but some in the, in the middle as well.
0: Well, that sounds pretty niche, yet it puts you in a place to where you are able to meet all different kinds of people. So uh, being a minister that you are, Courtney, uh, does that provide you opportunities to say, hey, not only do I ride horses, but or and I'm also a minister?
1: absolutely and, and and the wonderful thing about our sport is because you're transporting horses to these venues you can't just come in and out in a few hours you come in the night before and and you race the next day a lot of times you spend the next night you can't also just throw a horse in a trailer and drive for hours and hours it's kind of tough trailer and it's tough on them mm-hmm. uh and so I, I have just lifelong friends in this in this sport and uh and have had so many opportunities to to be a minister uh to them and and really my primary form of, of evangelism uh, is is riding tie because a lot of folk in the horse world are not uh uh they're unchurched at that the very best uh and and maybe not even a christian at all um and it's given me wonderful opportunities uh for that uh and, and it's also the, one of the ways that, that I take care of myself uh, and one of the ways it, it, it provides me with spiritual nourishment as well.
0: Well, in what way? Because, um, well, we were talking off mic. We were talking about, um, I don't want to call it hobby because it's not the word that you use, but it's sort of a, a splitting of yourselves. There's more dynamics to Courtney than just being a minister. So talk more about that.
1: Yeah, well, it, it, Riding tie because it came out of my family, my daughter, uh, my wife uh, doesn't compete. She, we've done one ride, I guess, but she doesn't really compete. But she is my my coach because she knows a whole lot more about horses than I ever will. Uh, she's the crew chief. And, and when you come in and you do these loops and you come in and the bet checks the horse, she's she's handling all that stuff. Uh, and so it's a family affair. My primary partner, the one I've won the six man-man titles with is my, my um, brother-in-law. And so when I'm doing almost anything with family, it also is riding and tie and horse related. And then when I'm doing any kind of recreation stuff, uh, whether it's going out running so that my body is ready to run or whether it's riding so my body is ready to ride, I'm doing it uh, uh, with, uh, you know, it, it, I mean, it's just such a huge part of my life. Um, and and I'm a, such a high energy person that, that it's kind of what I have to, the the way that I relax is to go out and kind of destroy my body. (laughs) Uh, So much of my, my work is in my head, my, in my heart, I guess. So, so I go out and take, tear up my body as, as a way of of relaxation.
0: Yeah. It sounds counterintuitive, but I, you know, when we get into a hobby or sport, um, Part of it is that you can really throw yourself into it, where you can't think of anything else, but that particular sport and that particular hobby. Courtney, before we leave ride and tie, I have one more question pertaining to how serious do people take the sport or is it more laid back among the competitors?
1: So that's a great question. It's a great, uh, because we, when we are on the course, we are absolute cutthroat competitors and we are, we are, I mean, it, it is, it is, you know, uh, win it or, or die trying. And and yet as soon as the race is over, but and it's because it's such a small sport, most people know everybody else. Then we all just uh, have a great time, shake hands with the winner and congratulate them and, and you move on to the next time. But, but we can, we can, tell a race happened 10 years ago we'll still be going over yeah i had you until that one thing happened and that kind of thing absolutely but it's also the case that you're it's 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 not a it's not the safest sport in the world and and we've had there was one race where a guy got tossed into a tree and his head was bleeding and it was actually a a, an east coast championship a regional championship and we just kind of everybody just stopped and, and made sure he was okay. And, and the horse was missing and a couple went off in search of the horse thing. I think we're, we're not so cutthroat that we, we don't recognize in the middle of a race we need to to quit, but, but it, it's incredibly competitive, uh, when we're out there, um, uh, within a uh, certain limits
0: <laughs> So having, um, all kinds of uh, wonderful people from different walks of life, Courtney, can you give just some examples of, of some of the faith conversations that you had when you're not competing, and you know you're around the water cooler or the campfire or around the horse trailer leaning up against a pickup truck, uh, what would be some of the more memorable conversations about God about Christianity, about faith that you can recall that you don't mind sharing
1: sure uh uh one I think of is 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 one of a a fellow who's fairly new to the sport um uh keeps saying to me. Um, you're just not like what I thought a pastor would be like. Uh, and, and I think he means that in a good way. right? <laughs> uh, and, and, and that's, I, I want that, not, I want them to know I'm just a, a, another ordinary person. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's important or to be approachable or, or, or whatever. I've had numbers of opportunities when things are not going right for people to, to do offer pastoral care. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done actually one uh, led one funeral uh, for a person uh, who was involved or actually the husband of a person was involved um, and then I remember sitting around at a camp one time uh, when, when you come up with, with a couple that uh, have a Catholic background and have had some some uh, big disappointments with the Catholic church and they were telling me about a podcast that they had listened to uh, that was uh, about the Catholic some of the horrible abuses in the Catholic church and and they were kind of equating that to the whole church and and or at least particularly the Catholic Church, and it just gave me the opportunity to say, you know, uh, as C.S. Lewis said, some of the best uh, arguments for Christianity are Christians, and then some of the worst arguments for Christianity are, are Christians, and right, right, and, and kind of to, to kind of try to help them maybe get a little wider perspective on on that.
0: Um, yeah, and being I don't able know that I did, but
1: but but I yeah,
0: tried. and being able to separate. Um, faith in God through Jesus Christ and the institution of the church. Yes, um, I mean, we blend those together so often, I think in-house uh, within the community of faith, but also I think outside the community of faith where we mix the institution and the individuals within the institution in with the faith, and we're not always able to to separate and delineate when it's necessary. My relationship with a local congregation is along with my relationship with God. It's not one mm-hmm. and the same. I think it even becomes more difficult when you're in um, a leadership role in ministry to delineate between the two. sounds mm-hmm. like you have a, fa- uh, a healthy, um, oh, I don't want to call it a divide, but a diversity between, um, you know, Courtney, who is in ministry, and then there's Courtney, who's the family man, and then who has hobbies and sports that he's involved in
1: hope and i really hope that the courtney in the pulpit is not all that different from the courtney
0: (laughs) at home and the
1: courtney out riding a horse um uh, um in terms of you know because otherwise then there's a there's an artificiality there um and i think that that the from from the church the world so much needs authenticity Uh, and so i hope that that's true. Now my kids tell me when I preach that I put on my preaching voice. I know it's a little bit, of, <laughs> but hopefully I'm not saying anything that I don't believe or you know, whatever. Any stuff.
0: right? And and I'm speaking more in the context of um, I've said this before. You know the the most wonderful people I have ever met. Uh, have been in the church and probably the most difficult people I have ever met yeah. Yeah, have okay. also been in yeah. the church and delineating between the two that sometimes uh, we will catch one another or cross paths with one another when they're at their worst moment. And and then there are other occasions when we cross paths and, and we, we find the most, you know, loving, endearing, compassionate mm. um, individuals on the planet. Yeah. Um, yeah but being able to distinguish that, oh, okay, when, uh, TJ is an awful person, that's not a reflection upon the entire uh, yeah. Christian faith of right. all of Christendom, yeah. you know, that, yeah. I, um, I'm not always going to be, nor am I the best representative of, of the Christian faith. Yeah. yeah, It's not for lack of effort, but I, I, I fail at it.
1: No, indeed. And, 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 and I, I, there i'm also on the national riding Tie board uh, of directors and there's all kind of drama that that kind of can happen in there uh it, it's not unlike us what happens at some session meetings or whatever uh, um, uh, and um and, and and there have been times when i have have my not my best side has has shown and i've had to come back to people and say you know i'm really sorry well i, I wasn't trying to 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 Present myself quite that way, and, and it's concerned me because I've worried that I was presenting maybe this is a pastor, and this pastor can't get along with this person. And it
0: <laughs> well, but I, I think that happens. I think that comes with being human. What's hard is is going back and going, okay, that wasn't a good representation of 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 me nor my faith. Um, just want to apologize, and, and if I can make things right, I can. I'll try. Yeah. Well, Courtney, um, you you weren't born a minister, so let let's take a few steps back into time, and um, begin with some of the early days. Uh, let's talk about your your upbringing and and your family.
1: Sure. Well, uh, I I um was born to a Baptist mother and a Catholic father. Uh, although my my father grew up. It's a pretty nominal Catholic. Uh, he was, he, he died back in 2015. My mom's still around, but, but he died uh, just before I came to, to to Chattanooga. And, but he, he was an identical twin. And so he's in church a lot because at weddings and funerals, because the Catholic church, the, the, a lot of people liked having perfect little bookend uh, uh, altar boys. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, he didn't do a lot with church. And when he married my mom, he would not, he wasn't interested in having his marriage blessed or whatever had to happen. I don't know that he was fully excommunicated, but I don't think he was supposed to take communion anymore. And that didn't help his, his, uh, church attendance or anything. So in my youngest years, uh, what I remember is mom always took me and I have two younger sisters. We went to church and dad usually headed out to the golf course. Hmm. Um, and then when, um, I was, I don't know, 10 or 11, dad was a small business person. He, uh, was afraid he's gonna lose the business. And he got down on his hands and knees and said to God, if you will get me through this and save my house and my, my family and whatnot, I will do better. I'll go to church and whatnot. And unlike so many people who make that bargain with God and then things turn around, they kind of forget about it. He didn't, and, and, and he didn't have a sack of money fall out of heaven into his hands, but he did survive. And, and he recognized that it, that didn't have to happen.
0: Now, and were you? Involved. Now, let I'm me sorry. interrupt you. Now, you were you aware uh, back when you were a kid of of his uh, plea to God, uh,
1: uh, yes, and, and uh, it was one of those things where mom and dad tried to hide from us the financial problems. But mm-hmm. you, it's just really it's where I learned, and, and and as a pastor, it's good to know the kids are not stupid. Kids know <laughs> when they're stressing out. So they may not exactly why, but they know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And and that's gonna have a that's gonna play in in a minute too to the later uh, to my call um but dad got then involved in the baptist church and before he died was a deacon in the baptist church uh, mm. as still is my mother um and the church that they were in is a church in in, in uh, i was born in 67 in charleston south carolina but moved in 69 to rock hill south carolina mom is still in the church she joined in 69 and still a leader in that church wow um, so that's my my home kind of rock church in that sense um so then, moving a little forward to to my call, uh, as a child, I, I knew how tough financially it had been for Dad, um, and uh, I'll just say this: I, I can talk about it forever, but but I don't think it's that. But Dad actually ended up spending a year in prison as well. Uh, after that, uh, he had an interesting life, um, and that that caused a lot of financial difficulties in the family, as you might imagine. Oh yeah, uh, and um, so. I, w- I did not want to have to live a life of financial uncertainty and I was a pretty bright kid. And so when people would ask me, what do you want to do when you grow up? I would say, I want to be a doctor. Cause I knew doctors had money. Um, I- I would, and if they asked me, I was smart enough to say, well, because I want to help people, but that wasn't it at all. It was that, that I had gotten scared to death seeing my parents go through what they went through. Uh, and I didn't want to have that happen to me. Yeah. And as a probably 14, 15, 16 year old, fairly young, young man. Um, I started sensing God calling me to ministry and I'm like, no way, you know, <laughs> pastors don't have money. Pastors don't have financial right. security. You can forget it. This is not what I'm doing.
0: Right. Uh, and you even knew that as a, as a young man, as a teenager. Yes.
1: Oh yes. Yes. I mean, cause I knew, I knew when I told people, I want to be a doctor, I didn't want to help people. I just didn't want to be as afraid as I had been when I was you know younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I kept, and, and, and I was, I guess I was pretty self-aware because I also said, Oh, this is just your guilt talking. Cause you know that you don't want to help people. You just want to, um, and, um, I also was doing a lot of entering sweepstakes at that time. Maybe I'm become independently <laughs> wealthy before. I. You know. <laughs> And so I always had to be careful to say, this is the end of a long process. This is not my call. This is this is the final surrender to the call. Mm-hmm. But honest to God, I go out to the mailbox one day. Oh, and I happen to be the one with the mailbox. They open the mail, and there is from Ed McMahon, you may have won, you know, $10 million. And it is addressed to Reverend Courtney Kruger. <laughs> I'm 15, 16 years old. And I stood there at the mailbox. And looked up and said, All right, you win. I mean, you know, okay, I know you're not going to leave me alone. Now you're sending me junk mail. You
0: know, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you really received an actual message indica- <laughs> indicating. Um, well, your future, I guess.
1: I did, and and and, yeah. I, and I think it's it's a that's a part of God's sense of humor. Yeah. You know, okay, you want to be wealthy? Here's the deal: you haven't just won ten million dollars, but I still have a claim on your life, and I've and, and I've got a different direction I want you to go in.
0: So, in that moment, looking back, I, I mean, is that a feeling of of relief, uh, guilt, or a punch in the stomach? I mean,
1: what? it, it uh, none of the above? It, it was actually it was humor. <laughs> because I already had in some ways, I already surrendered, I already knew mm. that I had to make this decision I already and, and, and I wasn't and I was even past the point of dreading it, I think. I, I, I knew this is this is where my life is headed. This is where God wants for me. And, and even to this day, so often when I sense God convicting me and correcting me, it's with a sense of humor. You know, you got, Courtney, you're better than this. Come on. Let's get, get on with the program. And, and I'm like, I know, I know, I know. And, and you know, even even though I'm calling you something, something hard, you know, to go and ask for forgiveness or whatever you need to do you know, to make amends <laughs> with this person, or whatever. I know, I know, I know. And, and God just kind of tickles my funny bone almost in that sense. And I, and again, it's, it's not a laughing matter, but it is because it's just God saying you've known this all along and you're making me go to these extreme measures.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That real, um, kind of the knock on top of the head.
1: So let me, let me, as long as we're God's only going to the mail twice, but, but the second time was, was my call to first Chattanooga. Okay. So I'm a Baptist minister and, I'm um, um, I've been in the same church now for about 19 years and I'm trying to discern is it time to just kind of re up here and retire at this church? Cause I'm a huge believer in long pastorates. I mean, I was thankful I had been there that long mm-hmm. or do I need, is there another church out there that I need to uh, give the rest of my career to and, and do another, you know, 18, 19, whatever year uh, stint. And, um, and, I've, and, I saw, I've, and I've got this, this call to, to, or this not call, but this potential call to uh, Chattanooga, and and the committee has said we really think you're our guy. We really think that you're the one God's calling us to. But but you've got to tell us, you know, that you're our that, that God's calling you as well.
0: Well, now, let me let me interrupt you for just a minute. Yeah, if you could take a few moments to talk about how the how you and the congregation first became aware of one another.
1: Okay. Yeah, super question. So. First Chattanooga is in a weird position because we're a church with a lot of moving parts. We've got a, a, a Olympic sized swimming pool and a, and a 300 or whatever uh, enrollment in our, in our summer camp. And we've got a day, uh, a, a learning center a daycare and multi staffing. I think it's, it's a little hard for first Cumberland to be a first Chattanooga to be in a, there's not a great feeder system through the Cumberland denomination because so many of our churches are, smaller churches and don't have and so the church has learned over the years that, that they need somebody that, that maybe has different experience than a lot of Cumberland pastors have. Um, and so they've had to go outside the domination lots, um, more often than not. Um, and they advertised in a Baptist periodical uh, and I saw it, and I waited right to the deadline, and then I applied. And this is one of those another kind of funny thing. Don't ever tell God what you're not going to do. My wife said, "You're not going to become president here, and you're wasting your time and their time." This is ridiculous. <laughs> and I said, "I know you're probably right, whatever." But, and then we go through the process, and it's starting to feel like maybe it is. And, and one of the first questions the committee asked me was like, "Well, how did you hear about us?" And well, you're a Baptist, and I said, "Well, you advertise in a Baptist periodical. Did you think Presbyterians were going to be reading that?" <laughs> you know? um, and so that began that conversation and, and whatnot. And so now I'm at this, and every time I've made a big move, whether it was what seminary I'm gonna to go to, my first call, my second call, and this call, big life transitions, I just put myself through all kinds of angst. Um, and I had talked with several other churches uh, along the way, and some had been interested and some had not, you know how the, all that process goes. And First uh, Chattanooga really is, and they're they're really waiting for me to say, are you ready to take another step or not? And 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 the thing that was really holding me back was first Technique was a lot more urban than the church I'd been in before. And and, I, and I'm an outdoors kind of guy. We've already we started there. Yeah. And I'm not sure my soul can survive an urban environment. And and I'm it might not be good for me, it might be good for the church. And I'm really that's my main hold back. And once again, I kind of know God's called me here. and I'm, I've all, I really almost already committed, but I just haven't been ready to just completely say yes, certainly not to pick up the phone and call the committee chair. And um, one day I get the the outside magazine in the mail and the front cover is something about Mount Everest. And I've always been interested in Mount Everest. And so this is great. I'm going to go on the back porch and just go to Mount Everest for a while. I'm not going to worry about my career and, and and my call and any of that stuff. Only time I've ever known outside of magazine to have an inside cover also, but I opened it up out there on the porch, and the inside cover is the top 10 outdoor cities in America, and the winner is Chattanooga. And there's a picture of the bridge going across the, the Tennessee River in Chattanooga on the inside cover of Outside of Magazine. And once again, God is saying, Don't you see I've got this? The number one outside city in America is the one I'm calling you to. Would you stop <laughs> being so concerned about stuff? <laughs>
0: Let's talk for a few minutes about, um, I think this would be very helpful for listeners, both who are members of a congregation, but also for ministers as well. If you don't mind just sort of sharing the long pastorate and then maybe kind of living in that, that time of, well, am I supposed to remain here? Is it time to move on? And the questions that may be in your head and the conversations that you have with your family, all those pros and cons and being open to the spirit Um, What was that process like for you, and what advice may you have both for a congregation but also for a minister as well as they are discerning what the next call or the next ministry may be for them?
1: It is so hard, at least for me, To figure out where is God's call and where is my desire and 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 you try to do all the pluses and minuses and and you know for your family and everything else and Hmm. and, and that is just such an agonizing thing and it's it in that particular instance was particularly tough because I wasn't feeling the need to have to go anywhere. Um, what I really was doing was I was approaching 50 and I was kind of saw that as a 50 years old. And I kind of saw that as uh, uh, on the other side of 50, I, I may not be quite as attractive to churches, whether I am or not. Uh, and actually I, I mentioned that to some of my riding tie friends. I made the mistake of using that word attractive and they still tease me. You know, you're not as attractive as you were when we first met you. Cause you're past 50. Now. Um, but uh, um, I, I and, but I kind of said, I, I need to decide. I think that was artificial. I don't know that God was, maybe God was in it or I don't know, but, but, but I've got to decide by the time I'm 50, whether I'm staying here or whether I'm going to play sales. And again, I, I, looking back, that's pretty foolish, but maybe not because it's what got me to first Chattanooga. Um, and I, and I, I went through coach training school and I had a coach that, that was, wasn't a triad. I coached one person and the person coached me and they coached, you know, and they, Mm -hmm. And I kept just agonizing over this. I don't know if I ought to stay or go on. And she finally said to me one day, I think she kind of got tired and it's not even a good coaching (laughs) question, but she said, you're, you're trying to decide between a church, you know, and just some phantom church out there. And she said, I don't think you're ever going to know until you dip your toe in the water and you've got to just send your resume out there and see, and then see if a call arises or not. And that was brilliant. Uh, uh advice i don't think it's good advice for pastors to constantly have their toe in the water um right. at least it wouldn't be for me um maybe for some um but 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 particularly because i really think long pastors are important for churches and for pastors it, you know I, I don't i'm not looking for another church you know right now that had to be a pretty uh, extreme situation or God had to really grab me by the collar and, and shake mm-hmm. me but 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 once I did then you know that's that's where I finally got here. But it was with an awful lot of praying an awful lot of angst. And, and and I had to have that experience where I felt like God was saying, I'm sending you to Chattanooga. And it took the magazine, but, but, but that's
0: it <laughs> Yeah, it took the mail. Yeah. Well, let me, let me try the question again. Thank you. You answered it, but you made me think of something else. I want to try the question again. Um, discernment in, and this is more from the minister perspective, discerning, our gifts and our ministry and the outpouring of ourselves, as we know what our gifts and limitations are, how healthy is it for us to examine those regularly and make sure that they were responding to the call to ministry, um, but also that we we are giving what is needed to the community that we've been called to serve. Um, That is something I think that we need to Uh, visit regularly Mm -hmm. and discern regularly. What, what has been your experience, especially in a long pastorate? Mm -hmm. Is that something that you review uh, multiple long pastorates? Is that something that you review yearly every six months, uh, every five years? How does that work for Courtney?
1: I am so high energy and that, that I'm always kind of doing that. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I I, I I some and, and I, I'd be interested to have you ought to do this interview a session to or a session member <laughs> I kind of feel like people you can't argue with how much time and passion I put into my job but you might argue and 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 justifiably so about where I'm putting that time and passion um but but I mean I, I'm and it's not exactly what you're asking but it kind of is I, I'm gonna burn out long before I rust out hmm. uh, and, and so I'm not gonna get so complacent that I I'm, I'm always looking for for more ways and different ways and better ways to, to do what I'm doing and, and for our church to do what we're doing. Um, and so I don't, you know, in, in some ways, I almost, that may, that may be my kid heel is, is I ought to stick with something maybe a little longer than, than, okay, let's try something new. Let's move on to the next thing. And I did have a church leader in a, in a, in a, my previous church say, sometimes I'm afraid that you are a torpedo in search of a target and you get towards <laughs> the target and then you shift. And all of a sudden the church is like, Whoa, wait a minute. We thought we were going this way. So I don't know. If I'm answering your question, but, but.
0: Okay. Well, no, that's helpful because I, I think that type of personality is, is needed within the church. Maybe not for everybody to have it, but for, for more, because I would think it would be easier to shed away, hey, this is not working, or we tried it, let's go, let's move on to the next thing. Yeah. It's easy to shift when it's just you and I, mm-hmm. uh, that um, and being able to go, you know, w- you've worked it out in your head, and maybe you've never even spoken it out loud, but it was like, not you're not moving to the next greatest thing, but you're, it was like, okay, this may work better, or mm-hmm. no, this didn't work at all. What is your advice for for leadership in terms of shifting those gears because maybe you've already made the decision and it's all worked out in your head and this will be the next mission, this will be the next ministry. And in that process we're going to let go of these two or three things. Not everybody's always on board. They're not yeah. quite at the same place of arrival that you're at. How do you how do you encourage people to be, um, at that level and to arrive at the spot that you're at or capture the vision, I'm maybe yeah, arriving yeah. at is the wrong phrase, but how do you get people to capture the vision that you have for something that hasn't even been initiated yet?
1: Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm a, I, am a. am not a
0: how
1: to put this, I'm a very collegial kind of leader, both with church staffs and, and with others. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not, I'm not the, I'm not really coming in and so say, here's the direction we're going and, and everybody get on board and, and, you know, get on the bus or not. Um, I'm a very big picture person. And so I'll bring the big picture and then, and I've, I've learned, I've got to have then the people that the detail people to help implement it and sometimes it's right out of the gate they're like this big picture ain't going to work you know you there are you couldn't string enough details together and, and and i've learned that usually i you know the people that i trust when they when they say that in one way or another that's probably not them being sticks in the mud and 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 just not wanting to change but for what but but you know but not but, but 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 helping me helping the church not go some direction that's not going to be good um, I am though so energetic and, and I think so encouraging. That's one of the things my wife says that, 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 I mean, I, I gosh, I hate to say this cause I don't want to, it sounds, she says it's so like, but she says, you know, so often people want to follow you because what you're showing is, is, you know, this vision that, that they want to follow. And I, and I don't get it all the time by any stretch, but, but, and then there's some things that I have, have had, have held on to for a long, long time. Um, when I was in, in the Baptist church for 19 years, the very first meeting of leadership, I, I raised the issue of, of baptism. Do we have to baptize people who are baptized as infants, people who are not baptized by immersion? Can we say we honor their baptism if, if, they, if they value their baptism? Can we? And it kind of got shot down that meeting and I kept sending up trial balloons for 19 years. And the last thing that happened as I went out the door was they finally agreed to the, exactly the same policy that I had asked for 19 years before, which was, if you find meaning in your baptism, we do too, and you're welcome here, um, and uh, um, that was a long, I mean, I, it didn't matter how much enthusiasm or, or energy or, or whatever, I had, it, it, that took a long time, and, and, and it, it wasn't that I had a 19-year plan, it just took, just, but it just, it never would let go, I couldn't let go of it, and so I just kept plugging away.
0: Well, maybe they were waiting for your departure. It was like, okay, now now it can't possibly have Courtney's name on it. So. There
1: you go. That's right. That's right. He's not
0: getting Let's talk about the transition uh, moving from one denomination to the Cumberland Presbyterian Church and talk about some of the things that were attractive to you uh, from a theological and, and ecclesiastical point of view and maybe what some of the differences was, some of the things you had to grow into. Um, and and maybe even your first impressions of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church.
1: So first, I'll have to quote Cliff Hudson, um, whom so many people know. I just love it. I steal this from him all the time. And he says, I wasn't born in Cumberland, but I got here as fast as I could. <laughs> um, and and I, I very much feel that way. I'm so thankful for, for this denomination. Uh, and it was an easy transition for me for, for two reasons. One is, I already mentioned, I had a Catholic father and a Baptist mother, I went to a Baptist college, and then I went to to Duke Seminary. which is a Methodist Seminary. Excuse me. Then I went to uh, Columbia Theological Seminary for my DMin work, which was Presbyterian. Uh, and I'm stealing this from another friend, but I'm I'm really an ecumaniac. Um I just think that the Church Universal. I mean, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, uh, and, um, uh, and and I have I've always had uh, friends and colleagues uh, in, in other churches and. The town I was in before was a small town, and I'm the one that started the the uh, alliance of churches in that town that's still going on, um, because that's just so powerful and important to me. So in that sense, it was easy. Also, it was easy because the kind of Baptist I was was very similar to the Cumberland Presbyterian denomination, and that was I was a, a cooperative Baptist fellowship Baptist, and, and the way that I describe it, uh, the, the, the Cumberland Presbyterian denomination to um, Baptist friends, or I guess even to my Presbyterian friends, is uh, the Cumberland the Presbyterian denomination is to the Presbyterian world kind of the way the CBF is to the Baptist world in that you have the Southern Baptist Convention that is, is way, way right now. They weren't always, but now. And you've got another group called the Alliance of Baptists. It's kind of the left wing. And then the CBF kind of fits in the middle. And they particularly do in two ways. They are fiercely uh, 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 in support of women in ministry but many of the other social uh issues and whatnot, they try to leave room for people to have make up their own minds and churches to make up their own minds and that kind of thing. And and that has typically been who we have been, our middle theology, that kind of thing. We've been in uh, the, the, the the Cumberlands, and so I say with Cumberlands are kind of like we're between the PCA and the PCA USA, kind of uh, uh and, and we can decide where on that continuum we might fit. But but um uh, uh I like that. I like the middle theology, but but it's it's incredible incredibly important to me it's it's an essential that the women in ministry be at the piece that has to be uh there for me um uh, mm-hmm. and and that's all the the churches the baptist church I've served have have been that way and that's not typical of a lot of baptist churches but it is of those and so so that's i guess I'll stop and let you tell me if you, what more you want to know but but
0: no that's that's that was fine. easy. so women in ministry and then apparently bat, baptism as well because you were advocating for recognizing baptisms from other places and other congregations and, and denominations.
1: So you said something about theology and ecclesiology, whatever the the church government, it it was the biggest difference for me. Um, because in the Baptist church, they're, they're more of a pure democracy and, and we are more of a representative democracy. And I have discovered, uh, thus far uh, that the, the superiority of our system. Now I know you can get a, a session that, that, can wreak havoc, and I know they have in in some churches, just like you can get a pastor, so I'm not not just crashing the session uh, or, or whatever, but my experience at First Cumberland has been we have had to make difficult decisions as a session. If it's eight or 12 people in a room trying to discern God's will for the church, it is so much easier for everybody to be heard. It is so much easier to actually make that decision than when it's 100 people screaming at each other, and I have, I have experienced that in, in the Baptist church. Uh, uh, now, the Baptist system is great, too. Everybody has buy-in, all that kind of stuff, uh, but particularly pretty early uh, in my ministry here, um, matter of fact, I had my ordination, I hadn't yet even been um, uh, acknowledged, or I was still going through the Paul's program, uh, uh, and uh, so I had a, another pastor, uh, Jen Newell, was moderating our, our session, we had a a, a couple that were a long time uh, same sex couple that started visiting the church and I talked with them and they were very clear with me they would like to join but they said we're not going to join if it's going to cause a problem we just one of them had a connection to the church and they said this is the church we think we would like to be a part of but but you know we don't you know but but we really don't want to cause a problem, and so I took that to the session, and Jen was like, "You are shooting. You know, I know we have to do this because I did not want them to come down on a Sunday morning, and me explain before the whole session. Because we we actually convene the session on the Sunday morning when somebody joins, and right there in front of the church, they vote on everybody." I just didn't think that would be fair for the session. To wondering, these two men are coming down here. What is this? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And and so and Jen agreed, but she said, "This is so early in your you know you may be out of a job <laughs> <laughs> before you even get started." And, um, and 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 that was the most amazing leadership meeting I've ever been in. Because of the the, I think we had twelve elders then. We we now have eight, but but of the twelve elders, there were twelve different opinions, and they all were on kind of a continuum, and it wasn't a, a it wasn't a binary kind of thing. And some of them were, I think that that um, that this is living in sin, and and we can't have this. And some were, well, I think we're all sinners. And some were, well, I, I don't have a problem with it. Um, theologically, I'm okay with it. And we really span, spun the the. Um, the the um, continuum there and and the the elder that was really the the most concerned about it uh, um, uh, and, and said I just can't I, I'm I'm worried that's going to condone sin I really can't I could I could not vote for them to be a part of our church but she said but I'm sensing that that's not really the way the rest of the session feels and so if you can just tell me the Sunday they're going to join if they choose to join I just won't come. Cause I also don't want to um uh uh to 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 even abstain from voting, but but I but I I could be okay with that because I trust the rest of you. Um and so uh I was actually in the car on Saturday coming back from a riding tie and and one of the guys called me and said, could we join tomorrow? And I said, sure. And I'd already let them know the session had told had said that they would um uh, allow them to join. Mm-hmm. And um so, so uh, uh, the the chair of the, I mean, not the the clerk of the session and I s- divided the session up and said, we're going to call all session and let them know this is coming tomorrow. And I can't remember, it's funny, I can't remember which one of us called that woman, but her response was, this is wonderful because I have friends who are in for the weekend and now we can just have brunch together and I don't have to get up and go to church. And this is just great. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was the most graceful thing, and the way that we just came, and for our church, that was the right decision. That might not be the right decision for other churches, and we may get to that later, um, but but for our church, that was the right decision, and the way we came to that decision, I felt like I walked out of that decision uh, just like they walked out of the, the church meeting in Jerusalem, where they saying it just seemed good to the Holy Spirit to us that we moved this direction, and so, but I, that would not have happened if it was a hundred people in a room trying to decide that it's at, at once is my whole point about right? that whole story.
0: Yeah, I think it's a microcosm of the the way that the community of faith can work. But as you were saying, it's how a representative form of government works, where that the representation you you have a vote, and then the majority of that vote goes on. And um, thanks for sharing because. I was wondering what that transition could look like coming from one denomination to another, because it can be challenging, Um, you know, especially if you have roots and a belief system that uh, may differ in certain ways and in practices in one denomination from another. And um, I also think it is an example of the Cumberland Presbyterian denomination in our belief system where we have so much in common with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, most of the time, we seek out those commonalities to share a common mission and a common ministry. And um, so I just wanted to hear from you what that experience was like, that transition of going from one denomination to another and and challenges and the difficulties and joys that come with that. If you don't mind, let's go back to your calling in the ministry as a, as a young man. So you were in your teenage years. So you kind of knew in high school or at least as a young adult. Mm-hmm. Um, what your generally what your career path would look like.
1: Yeah, and 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 I charted my educational path, you know, for that and so, and, and I was an anomaly. Uh, I I don't know what the the average age in seminary now is, but when I was at Duke to be 22 years old i guess and and be a seminary student was i was i was very much you know one of the youngest ones there because most people were second career folk um and um, and, and 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 i think that it to be a second career minister can be incredible because you do have it i mean I, I have had no full-time you know career job outside of being a pastor in mine in 30 years ever but but in in my entire career and i can understand that uh, I, I will say, and, and and again, I'm not I'm this is tongue in cheek, uh, but I don't guess he felt that way. Stanley Hauerwas was one of my professors, uh, the, the great Christian ethicist. And he used to say, and this was to a bunch of second career people, I don't know why you people want to be ministers. You're already washed out of one career. There's no way you're gonna make it in the pastorate <laughs> or the ministry. <laughs>
0: That's funny. But,
1: you know, uh, uh Paul and 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 Peter and and all the disciples, they they, they might quibble with that as well.
0: Yeah, I, and I, I think the measuring sticks aren't even the same sticks because, yeah, that's the, you know, if you're you know, second or third career, you're bringing so many experiences to, yeah. to the table, life experiences, interactions with other human beings, and you're bringing the skill set as well that may, that may cover administration that mm-hmm. um, maybe many ministers yep. don't have, they just don't have that experience or maybe even that gift. Um, the same with bivocational, um, yes. for many of our ministers who are bivocational, you, you are bringing that experience. One, you're, you're out in the community and I would even argue being bivocational, uh, puts you in a very advantageous, uh, context and circumstances to where you're meeting people who are not faith connected at oh, all.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's why riding right top for me is, is that other side uh, uh, whereas if I were bivocational, I would have it, and it would probably be even more advantageous if I'm, I'm more in the community. That's right. Not so much of a community thing, but that is where I am encountering other people outside of the church because so much of my uh, um, working life and, and life is in the church. My friends are in the church, all all that kind of stuff. So right. Absolutely. And, and again, that was that was totally tongue in cheek. I I, I I was not trying to disparage <laughs> anybody's <laughs> well career path,
0: but they're uh, not to leave full time ministry out of the loop here in this conversation to be able to have kind of that pinpoint focus and a minimal amount of distractions to where you can focus on one career, one vocation, one profession, um, and utilize and express all your gifts and all your energy in one. There's a benefit to that as well that uh, you may not get if you're in bivocational ministry.
1: Well, I am. I am so thankful that, that from 16, I was able to chart a course and, and, and do that. I, I am. I'm, I'm glad that's the, the, the path my life took. And that's God calls all different kinds of people from all different places and walks of life. But I'm glad that that was the way God chose to, to use me.
0: Well, let's talk about some of the people that have impacted your, your life and your faith, that have encouraged your ministry, shepherded you along the way, um, given you different skills and perspectives that... Have bettered your life and bettered your interactions with others.
1: Boy, you know, you put this question on the the sample questions, and and I could I, I've already talked too much. I could talk for hours. I've already mentioned my parents. Both of my parents, in different ways, taught me so much. My mother is eighty, almost eighty three now, and she is still the leader in her church in their ministry. Uh, there, they have a. a um, it's a, it's a clothing ministry, a ministry center. and, and if, if it weren't for her, I'm not sure it would continue. Uh, and she has taught me about giving your life for Christ regardless of, of you know not getting a paycheck or anything else. Uh, my father and when you when you make a bargain with God or, or, or ask God you know, for something, then you better stick to it. Uh, and and his sense of integrity for him to stand in front of a judge and say I was guilty I'm I'm guilty I'm not I'm not fighting this thing um, it has so much made me a person I hope and I think of integrity uh, my wife uh, Lee is has taught me so much about generosity uh, and she's also taught me a lot about um, when when two people don't see eye to eye that can be okay um, hmm. and she had to pound that into me at, <laughs> early in our marriage <laughs> in some ways. Um, but uh, uh, but that is her, her faith is so incredible, and her honest faith is so incredible, and, and um, uh, there's, there's no more dangerous critter than a person who's finished one semester of seminary, and we got married after my first semester of seminary, and so I was ready to impart to this poor, unfilled vessel all that I had learned in the last three months and all that she didn't know about God and faith and Jesus and everything else, and, um, and she was not having it. Uh, um, uh, And she taught me so much. Um, And then I've had so many mentors in ministry. Uh, I had a group in South Carolina of uh, nine ministers that we met once a week uh, for prayer and Bible study and just fellowship uh, for uh, over a a decade. And they're still going on uh, um, that, that group. Um, and I haven't had that uh, um, in this context, and that that has been something I've kind of lacked. But boy, that we call, we call ourselves the companions in Christ because we started with that particular curriculum, um, and I even went to Greece with with three of them on a kind of a pilgrimage. Um, uh, but but really, the people who impacted me in some ways the most are ordinary church members. Um, I have a friend who's in the ministry, and he calls us ministers professional Christians, uh, <laughs> as a really as a, not as a, a, a compliment. And, and, the, and the unprofessional Christians, the ones who come to church, not because they're getting a paycheck, not because they're expected to be there, but because they love God and they want to serve God. And the ones that when the church is, is in need of a leader or in need of an extra few dollars or whatever it is, there is in need of a need of, of somebody to help out with a mission project. They're the ones that are there. Wow, I mean, they are the real. Uh, I mean, that they, that, I mean, they are my heroes because, I mean, I, I, I tease. You know, they only come church because they pay me to, and, I, and that's not true. Um, <laughs> and I know it's not true because when I'm on vacation, sometimes I'm the only one of my family that goes to church, but I still, am going to go to church someplace. But I am. It is different, and, and wow, yeah. ordinary church people, ordinary members, ordinary Christians.
0: Right? Yeah, they're um. The lay folk are the real examples to follow in terms of discipleship. Um, A minister may be um, more knowledgeable. I don't know. I'd even argue this one, but I'll finish my thought. Maybe more knowledgeable on the scriptures or maybe the day-to-day operations of a local church or adjudicatory or whatever. But the real movers and the shakers and, uh, yeah, the earth shakers are... Yeah, the the disciples, the the Christians who are there when the church door is open for fellowship, for study, for worship. Um, are awesome examples uh to follow and to model after in terms of faith and what a Christian faith can look like. Yeah. Uh, at least better than me. I'm not gonna speak for you, but at least they're better examples than I yep. am.
1: No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Let's talk about, um, your faith and where it is currently, uh, Courtney, you had mentioned off mic, um, and I don't ask this enough with our guests, but, um, I like asking, you know, where are you seeing God? Where are you experiencing God in your life right now? I mean, if you had to share that with somebody that isn't faith connected, they're not real sure about this whole relationship with Christ and everything that it means, what, what compelling words would you share with them and go, and this is where I see God working in, in my life and in this world right now? Well, um,
1: I first, I I believe in relational evangelism. And so I I don't think I could walk up to someone on the street. I don't know. (laughs) And just say, let me tell you where God is in my life. And that's going to have a whole lot of, I think they're going to need to watch me and see and, and kind of judge themselves. However, uh, um, uh, I think the, the, the two things I might say to a friend who says, hey, you know, I've been watching you. Tell me, how do you see God working in the world? Um, on a, on a uh, I would say it on a micro level and kind of maybe on a macro level. On, on a micro level, um, on Christmas Day, one of our 93-year-old members, uh, Herman Welch, uh, uh, died. Uh, and uh, his daughter um, was doing what what we have to do during that that time. Go through all his papers and find all the stuff that she needed to for the you know for everything she had to do. And he had left very detailed instructions, and 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 all of his affairs were very much in order. And she picked up a folder that was a folder about that was a car he had owned years ago and all of its maintenance records or whatever. I don't know what all. It, and that was something just to push off to the side. But as she did, this piece of paper fell out of it. And she picked up the piece of paper, and it was a poem that if you handed me that poem today, I would say this is just too kind of sappy and, and whatever. It's just not my style. It was a poem about uh, my experience on my first Christmas in heaven. And it's all about if you think the choir at church was great at, at your church. I was in heaven, I had to hear the heavenly choir. you think the decorations are great. You ought to see the glories of heaven and the streets of gold, and all kinds of stuff. Uh, but for her, it, this is Christmas Day. And her dad has just died, and not only does this fall out of the, the thing, but he has signed it at the bottom. Love, Pa. Everybody called him Pa. Um, he didn't write it; he just clipped it out of the paper or whatever. But he signed it, and and she called me, and we were talking about it, and, and and I just said, you know, that's not a coincidence. That there's no way that's a coincidence, and that is God saying to you with with this. And 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 I, I, I'm this is my words I heard, but this stupid sappy you know, uh, you know, way too saccharine for me thing. I don't care because that is God at work. And that's in kind of a, a, a micro way. Uh, um, um, the, the, the more macro way, I guess, is um, I just read a book over Christmas, a, a kind of a friend of a friend um, wrote. It's called Love and Quasars. Uh, Paul Wallace is the name of, is the author. And, and he's a, a um, he has a seminary degree and he's an astrophysicist. Um, and, uh, so his, what a combination. His book, yes. Yes. Uh, it's it's like, you can find it wherever loving quasars, but, but he charts in there how he has discovered God through his work in science and, and how, and, and, and through, uh, astrophysics and this kind of thing. And it's sort of a Psalm eight kind of thing when I consider the, 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 the heavens, you know, uh, who am I? Uh, and I do see God in that great macro way uh, working in the world. Uh, I would like to see God more. I'd like to see God at work more than I see God at work in things like the war in Ukraine and that sort of thing, but I trust God is at work because God hung the moon uh, and the stars, and, and having folk like Paul help me be able to experience that in in, a, in an even differently in a better way um, that that's kind of a, a, a macro way and I can't prove to some friend that that I talked to that that letter falling out of the, the envelope is is God at work or that that God uh, this astrophysicist uh, very honestly say he had given up faith and then came back to it you know that that's God at work but boy I see God at work
0: yeah that'd be an interesting conversation. I also like the aspect of like okay, if we as humans and as Christians contribute, you know, the the moon hanging in the sky, which is very rudimentary, but it looks like it's hanging in the sky. Then if that was created by a higher being, then certainly, certainly there's a touch to to, uh, little old me. I'm just a speck Mm -hmm. And, and little old you, you're just a speck. And look how unique we are. And I mean, with, you know, joints and fingers and thoughts and and we make noises with voices and all these different things that, you know, I don't know what else to contribute it to. Yeah, we can get into the genes and the bacteria and and those different things. But even then, what complexity that is in the unseen. And so I like that. I'll, I'll have to give that more thought. I guess I haven't really thought of it that way in a little while, but you're right. Also the, the, the micro in terms of the the inner, inner relations between you and I having a faith conversation, um, right now and talking about God and doing it freely. And I hope for you at ease, you know, to to be able to have those kinds of conversations Mm -hmm. and have more of them. Well,
1: I would say that picks up too on another thing that 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 you mentioned in your your guide, and that is that is doubt okay. And I think doubt is not just okay. I think that can be one of the most powerful vehicles to faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so to 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 look at at science and first think, well, maybe you know we can come up with a a unified theory that 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 excludes God. Maybe we don't need a God. And then to say, no, it's just not going to work. It's not going to work for me that way. It just can't.
0: I think, and I think that being, uh, for me, I see doubt and being inquisitive, they kind of go hand in hand, uh, not yeah. not in the sense of like doubt why well, I, I question or I, I suspect that this is right or wrong or whatever, but I just see being inquisitive of like, well, I, I want to know more, maybe my first impression of X is mm-hmm. negative, and yet I'm still attracted in, in the sense of excitement of Knowing more, I'm seeking it out. Um, but also, I think within the faith of like, um, I don't know if you said that there is uh, something in the, in the Old Testament, and I don't remember it because I don't know all the Old Testament, you know, from beginning to end, then that doubt could lead to that inquisitive nature of like, ah, let me go and look in Leviticus or Numbers or wherever, um, you know, that story or that comment yeah. or that scripture. So I think doubt can drive us deeper into the faith, or, oh, I, I, or absolutely, or drive us to the faith when we were outside of it.
1: And, and in some ways, if, if I guess, try this on for heresy, maybe. But if if there's not, <laughs> if there's, if, if I'm not willing to entertain the possibility that there isn't a God, maybe it's not. Maybe the God isn't, and I don't mean as a concept, but God isn't worth. I, 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 when you're on the Old Testament, well, I was thinking about Psalm 8, uh, again, uh, when I consider the heavens and all this grandeur, and then I wonder who am I I also, you know, I mean, that's, why would you pay Even if you are, even there is a God, why would you pay attention to me? And yet David's uh, coming out of that little bit of doubt, you know, well, who am I? What in the world is, but you did let that slip of paper fall out from beneath that from 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 that folder or you did help me just just the other week i was driving just a friday a week ago driving and and saw coming down off of, of lookout Mountain, and the moon was full and it was just so beautiful uh and and thanks thank you god that not only i noticed the moon how beautiful it was but that that, that was a connection between me and you at that moment um and and I, it was a gift god gave to me and 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 i think This is a good Cumberland kind of God also gave me the gift to know that it was a gift. It wasn't that I recognized that God gave me that gift of faith, I'd like to
0: say. Yeah, that is very Cumberland because that's how we approach grace. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And what are your hopes for uh, this denomination? I think
1: that if I think there is that we have so much to offer. And again, going back to kind of being an ecumaniac and kind of being a person that that likes to be around other people that don't think quite like me. My wife, I told you, has helped me with that. Uh, First Cumberland Church is a church that is very diverse uh, in, in lots of ways and mo- more theologically than, than demographically, sad to say. Uh, but but um, uh, just a few weeks ago, there was a, a couple that was thinking about joining and they had some quibbles with the confession uh, they were coming out of the Baptist church and they wanted to meet with the session and just kind of make sure that it was okay. Can we still join if we're not totally sure about some of this stuff? Um, and it was during the Christmas season and I already had committed to uh, taking communion to shut-ins and, and they knew I was coming, and, but but I, I knew our session could handle it. I'd already talked with a couple. And, and, and so I just said, look, y'all meet with them. And, 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 the, the report I got back both from the couple and from sermons of session is our our guys our our guys and gals and women men and women did such a great job of helping them see you don't have to our, our confession is there the essential doctrines are there that's what we're asking, but you don't have to 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 go along with every single jot and tittle in there um it, it's okay because because we as a congregation are diverse and, and we found a strength in that we, we it's something that could tear us apart, but we found a strength in that. That's true of us as a denomination too. I I, I also am terrified, and, and and my biggest anxiety in ministry is over our denomination, and 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 will a denomination that managed to stay together during the Civil War, which tore apart every other major denomination, and we were a major denomination then, we might not be now, um, but we we managed to hang together uh, during that, not easily, but we did. Are we gonna? Be torn apart. I grieve that we could not come to a reunification with the CPCa Church. Uh, I wish that we could have. I think that would have been a marvelous witness to the world. Uh, uh, and I grieve that that we may tear as our as as an united uh, uh, body. We may tear our, just the CPC Church now may tear itself apart over some other social issues. Uh, and, and whatnot. And um uh, I was I've been thinking about this so much the last couple of days. Uh, in the lectionary right now, it's going the the, the epistle lessons are going through First Corinthians one. And and Paul writes about how we're all called, and there's lots of people all over the world that are called and they're calling on the name of Jesus. And then he says, But I hear there's quarrels among you, and you've got to be of one mind and one purpose. And one mind doesn't mean you all think alike, one mind doesn't mean you all have the same opinions. Or, or even the same theologies about this, that, or the other, but but it does mean that you're all calling on the name of Jesus Christ, and I'm just so afraid we're going to lose that, and, and we aren't big enough to be separate. I mean, we'll just—I don't know what will happen, but but we've got to. It's sort of the Patrick and Henry thing. We're either going to hang together or going to hang separately. But but um, I just I, I, I hate that, and I hate to think that um, that we may we may divide ourselves. So my 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 hope is. I, my hope is we don't do that and maybe that's a horrible and it's, and it's not even a I'm not sure we're going to make it. And it, and, it, and that's like gigantic anxiety for me.
0: I don't have any answers, but <laughs> since you had oh, come me- on, since you had mentioned the confession of faith, there's a big chunk in there about the church and mission. You know, we, we are the church and and it's about witness. The word witness is used a lot in that section. And that's where our priorities should be. What does our witness look like? And, you know, witness can convey, you know, just our feet or our voices, our hands, our heart, our mind, our eye, you know, all all the different senses and, and what that mission, what that witness looks like. To me, that's that's where our focus should be, and I know maybe the counter argument is, "Well, I can't witness unless to, you know this gets figured out, or we resolve that, or we're together, or we're apart, or that sort of thing." I don't gather that from the scriptures. I gather that okay, we our calling is is our witness, and that is our mission, and let's exhaust ourselves doing that.
1: I agree and, and recognize that we all need each other and that there are some people that I will never ever be able to reach because of who I am and my experiences and, and whatever and there's some people that that I can reach that you or someone else could never ever reach just because of, of of who we are and if we throw all that away then we just totally we destroy we destroy our our, our witness and our mission and, and and rather than saying you know that that and, and we tend to see it as this conservative-liberal divide. and am going to look at it like that. I mean, there are some people that need that more harsh uh, 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 conviction that, that tends to be a little more on the on the conservative side, and there's some that need more of the uh, that have, have suffered from that in one way or another. Need to hear a little more on the, the other end. And, and I, I don't. I think liberal and conservative is a is a waste of time. I don't think. I think that's. I shouldn't even gone there. But but uh, but I, I do think that. We just, I mean, that's what first Corinthians is all about. And and it also says one, you already have every spiritual gift you need. So quit arguing with one another about your gift or your gift. And I think that's also your theology or my theology, whatever. If 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 we are if we're calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we're trying to be in common purpose, that that we are to be witnesses to Christ, then let's just trust God to work with us and 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 we need to give each other the grace to be wrong. Um, I may be wrong about the things I feel really strong about. You may be wrong. Look, give me the grace to be wrong, and 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 let's let as iron sharpens iron, let one friend sharpen another, um, and and see if we can't move forward. But.
0: For me to be the person that I'm called to be, the Christian that I'm called to be, I can't be it without you, Courtney, and without every Cumberland Presbyterian. i I'll be incomplete, mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. and um, so I need everybody. I need everybody to push me forward and to help me fulfill the calling that it, well, it, the individual call, but also the shared call of witness. And um, so, uh, I, I need all of us. I, I need everybody to to become that person, to strive to become that person that uh, that I'm called to be. Uh, that's my perspective. Uh, labels and. And that sort of thing i don't know those probably change over time and mm. and I, i'd rather call you by your first name <laughs> or your last name yep. and some other title or yep absolutely or, or yeah. whatever your pigeon hold in certain belief system or principles or values but it, let's shift uh gears because i don't want our conversation to kind of get uh stuck <laughs> down into that and oh, we can always come back and revisit uh i do like asking guests um uh, what what are you currently reading? You just finished a book you were sharing earlier. Um, and what kind of music speaks to you, speaks to your faith, and um, maybe uh, movies or sports and that sort of thing. Just kind of give a snapshot a bit about what uh, what tickles your fancy, um, what speaks to your faith, and what some fun reads, television shows, movies, mm-hmm. music that you also like.
1: Um. Uh. Th- that the one book, "Loving Quasars," was a great book. Another another one I just finished uh, this week, is, uh, also written by a friend of mine. It's called "Reshape," and it's a look at the church uh, and moving forward, kind of after COVID. He actually wrote it during COVID. Hmm. Um. And um. Just I guess to open close parentheses, maybe the the thing that was most powerful for me about that book was COVID has has brought up so much concern, right? Rightfully so it's exposed, you know, some of the decline that we already going in, it has, it has accelerated some of this was not true in our church. But in some churches, some of the divides that were there got open wide open and turned into outright warfare, Mm. you know, in in churches and and that kind of thing. And so COVID can be seen as such as such a curse. And of course, it was. um, But but he's early in the book, he says, I want you to think back to the middle of March of 2020. And within three days, you totally changed your ministry, your church totally changed you went from everything you knew, you know Sunday mornings coming, and we know what it's going to look like. To we got to figure out how to put this thing on the web. Or we got to figure out what we're going to do, or whatever. And and you did it, and and then you figured out how to minister to your congregation, and then you figured out how to try to minister to the wider world uh, in in the space of three days. And it took a crisis to kind of shake us to do that. But he said you you know, you can continue. You know, and that's again that uh, uh, again. Yeah, I'm working on First Corinthians one now. So Paul saying you already have every spiritual gift you need. Uh, you you've got it. You, you, that is so powerful. And so so I, I've been thinking lots just last two or three days about how do I le- what 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 resources do we already have that we need to leverage here at First uh, Chattanooga uh, and and better leverage um, so that we are doing the job that we need to do rather than waiting for next crisis to do it. Let's do it now.
0: Yeah, that, yeah, that's really interesting. Look, if we could take just a, you know a moment. And look how quickly the local congregation, uh, collectively as a denomination, we pivoted in a time of need so that we could continue not only to be spiritually fed through our worship experiences, our study experiences, but also to provide ministry outside of ourselves in a really, really short time, in a time that was certainly filled with uncertainty, Globally, not just in a local context, but globally, yeah I I think I hope every every person in leadership and every congregation, you know, takes a moment if they haven't already and just go, hey, we were able to accomplish things that we'd, we we'd even know was possible or feasible. We didn't even know we had it in us. Yeah, it's that Romans eight. You know,
1: God can work all things together for good for those that love Him. And work towards the purpose. Let me a quick, great Cumberland story about that. Um, yeah. I, I, we started doing our worship services, and we and we um chose to 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 um to not stream them live, but to, to pre-record them. And we we got a nice camera, so we could really try to put a, a really quality of, a product. We had some trouble with the, uh, um, the the live stream early on, and so we said we can do a much better job. We did so we started doing that. And then that led into me starting to do the, the Sunday school lesson. And, and I used the, the Cumberland Encounter material. And so I started uh, uh, with lesser quality. I used my cell phone, but recording, because a lot of it was from home. We were, you know, I was working from home. But recording a lesson and putting that up so that people would have, have both the worship or doing the Bible study opportunity. And we decided when we kind of started emerging from that, we, we wouldn't record the entire service, but we continued putting just the sermon up. And so we record the sermon usually on Tuesdays. Um, and I decided and I'm gonna keep doing the Bible study lesson, and um, uh, this same uh, a person who died I mentioned Herman Welch. His daughter Shelley is a member of the Beaver Creek Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Knoxville, and they were having difficulty finding a Sunday school teacher coming out of COVID. And she mentioned to somebody, "Well, you know, my my parents' pastor." is doing this online thing why don't we watch it or, or get somebody to agree to watch it and let him kind of help be their the, the the background consultant and then that'll help and the class said no let's just watch let's just watch it as a class and so i teach a, a class here at first chattanooga but while i'm teaching that class at first chattanooga beaver creek cumberland is watching the tape of me teaching the same lesson Um, It's not live, it's taped, but, but, and then I I think what they're doing is, is discussing it uh, later, and then, but here's the, the, the wonderful thing about that, Uh, they now decided sometime this spring, they're going to come to, to, to First Chattanooga for a worship service, and, and a lot of the lessons I've taped, I've taped at home, and, and I live on, we have a little, little horse farm, because of the, what we talked about earlier, uh, and they see the horses and all, and, and they know that we have lots of groups come out to the farm. And so they said, can we come out to the farm for, for lunch? And we said, Absolutely. And I cannot wait for these people I've never met, but for over a year now, I've been their Sunday school teacher. Uh, I cannot wait till we get this thing pulled together and 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 we do this. What a I mean, th- that never could have happened. It never would have happened if it weren't for,
0: for right. This. Man, I'm just laughing because I'm thinking that's a lot of Cumberland Presbyterian. So you have the writer of whatever quarter yeah. of the encounter, yeah. Cumberland mm-hmm. Presbyterian. Yeah. Sometimes there are multiple writers. Yeah. And then there's you yeah. and you're reading and, and discussing the lesson. And then the class there at Chattanooga First. And then you have Beaver Creek. Man, that's that's just oozing, oozing out. The only thing that's missing is uh, when you gather whoever the writer is for that quarter, you'll have to invite her. Yeah, I'm dead. That's true. You know, That's true. Yeah. and just, yeah. man, that that would be, um, a beautifully chaotic. Uh, yeah. I wonder if the yeah. conversation will ever leave the encounter or whatever. The lesson <laughs> is. Yeah. Uh, what was the name of the book, um, that was, uh, written during the pandemic? Could you tell it's, that to me?
1: Yeah. It's reshape by
0: Mark Tidsworth. Okay. Thank you. Um, you had said that I just couldn't remember it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about music or movies, anything else that just kind so, of resonates so with you?
1: The movie that changed my life in lots of ways that, that, that formed me as a minister uh, came out in the, I guess, the late 80s. I was in college, maybe the mid 80s. Uh, it's The Mission, um, and it is a movie about uh, Catholic Jesuit missionaries in South America in during the, the uh, 1600s. And they are, are um, trying to, to minister to the, the Native South Americans, and while the Native South Americans are being harvested as slaves, um, and ultimately, it, 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 in some ways, it's a kind of a slow-moving movie, and you really got to stick through it. Um, but it's incredibly powerful, and, and ultimately, there are two priests, and they both are trying to serve God in their way, and one is completely wrong, and one is completely right, and they both are passionate, and they both, and, and, and one chooses to take up arms, and the other chooses not to, is the, is the, the kind of the bottom line, um, and um, um, I, I guess since it's a move in the 80s, I can do the spoiler, alert, they both get killed, they both die, Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you know, it, it's, and, and I went with, with two, or three other pre-ministerial students and, and, and from college and we walked, we couldn't speak. We walked out of the theater, not talking. We, we got about halfway back in the car to, to the campus before we even said any, a, a word. Um, but, but it, it's both a cautionary tale. You can be incredibly passionate about something and, and, and you think it's ministry and you're not, and, and, and it's. And it's also you can be incredibly passionate and doing absolutely the right thing, and you're still going to get shot. And, and, and Jesus did, uh, and and you just need to recognize that, uh, either literally or figuratively. Um, uh, you know, it's not the feel good movie of the year, um, but but um, <laughs> man. I mean, and, and then it, 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 you know, so, so one of the other questions is, what do you want to ask God? Uh, yeah. And I want to ask God, am, am I doing it right? And, and where I'm not, and I know I'm not doing it all right. So where I'm not doing it right, please help me uh, and help me when the time comes, if the time comes to walk right into the, 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 the hell, the, 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 the gunfire or whatever, I mean, literally or figuratively um, and not, not run away from it. If that's what I'm called to do. So,
0: so yeah and you know we were talking about the uh, the, the wonderful gifts and the examples of of um, those within the church, disciples of the church who may not fall in leadership roles but there is that level of anxiety if you are in a leadership role, you don't even have to be ordained to the word and sacraments, but that that questioning of like am I leading right? Am I doing yeah. the right thing? am I, am I, am I teaching? Is it, is it reaching people? Mm-hmm. Is it the right teaching? Yeah. You know, from the sermon delivery to the pastoral mm-hmm. care, even to the administrative duties yeah. of like a, that constant questioning of, and I, you know, sometimes it is about adequacy or inadequacies, but it's also just, I want to do the right thing where people can experience your presence, God. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if I'm in the way, get me out of the way, but let me know when I'm in the way. And the metrics
1: for are you doing it right are so hard. I mean, you know, after Jesus preaches the sermon when he refused to to feed the people the second time, and everybody leaves, and he looks at the twelve and says, "Do you want to leave too?" Just because the, the church is is bursting at the seams doesn't mean that it's that you're doing it all right. But if the church isn't bursting at the seams, maybe that is a, that maybe that is a metric. But how do you how do you know? Oh, uh, it
0: yeah. is
1: so hard.
0: Yeah, th- those measurements of of success or lack thereof.
1: I, or a faithfulness. You, you I guess I, you, I, can't, I, I, you can't, I expect, I, I, I certainly, I, I know in my heart and I only can know in my, I mean, in my heart, the, 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 the amount of passion that I have for the gospel and for Christ and for all of that. And, and, and because of that, I trust that, that when I die, I'll, God will say to me, well done, good and faithful servant but how much is God saying, not just me, but to all of us, you know, but, but gosh, I could, it'd be a whole lot better done if you would just listen to me and if you would do this, that, or the other, and you're just so blind because of whatever reason it's, it's.
0: Yeah. Uh, This is a a poor metric and I don't recommend it, but this is kind of where I have been in my own ministry. So in in my travels or when I'm filling in for somebody, uh, when I get back to, you know, the, whether it's the hotel room or my car or the airport, I reflect back and, it, and instead of diving in, oh, I should have said this differently, or I shouldn't have said that, or I, I have to ask myself, did I give all of myself in that mm-hmm. moment, yeah. in mm-hmm. that situation? Um, that for me on a personal and professional level, that's, that's where I'm at. And if the answer is ever no, then there needs to be some really deep reflection yeah, for yeah. future stuff. Now, yeah, yeah. how do you, how do I measure that? Can I graph that out? Can I right, show yeah. you like, oh, it must've been all of me because of, well, there were this many people in attendance mm-hmm. or I got Dream. this. Per- I don't do it that way. That's the the only way I can keep sanity and grounded is did I give everything that was available to me in that moment to those people, uh, to that worship ex- experience, to that event? That's, yeah, yeah. that's, and really that's all I have to offer is all of me.
1: Yeah, I, I think so too. And, 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 that all, and again, because I'm energy and, and, and energetic and passionate, you know, is that energy is it me waving my hand saying, look at me, look at me, or is it me really trying to to, to show God? And and so I've mentioned First Corinthians 1 a lot today because I've just been immersed in that because I'm studying it. I'm so excited about what I'm learning. And, and that, is, that, that for me is part of the metric because it's impacting me. And so it's not when I read it and I think, boy, oh, so-and-so needs to hear this, that's probably the wrong metric. But when it's, oh, my goodness, and now I've got this. And now I want to share this with, the congregation and, 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 or if I'm teaching with, with even Beaver Creek gets to hear about it. <laughs> um, I hope that's, you know, that that's another method. is there, is the the excitement isn't boy, look how clever I am, but wow, i never noticed this before. And, and if it weren't for me reading whoever, or, or God giving me this as I was reading and praying over how would I, you know, but, but
0: <laughs> I have one last question for you okay. and just fair warning. It's it's tongue in cheek. But I think this would be a good way to round out our, our conversation today. Did you ever give up on uh the sweepstakes? <laughs>
1: yes. As and that, that's hilarious you asked that because. Uh, uh my dad just very rarely but but every once in a while he would go and buy a lottery ticket and i used to always just tease him so much about that because i said dad the lot because i had since i learned and i love this phrase the lottery is a tax on people bad at math you know, you're not there's there's you're just you're and he would say okay here's the deal then if i buy a lottery ticket Uh, and I win. Will you agree with me that you get none? I'm going to give it all to your sisters, but in that, that part of your inheritance, you don't get any of. And I said, I will absolutely agree to that because you're not going to win it. Um, So yeah, I gave up on it.
0: Uh, Courtney, I have enjoyed getting to know you better and spending this time with you on this podcast. You've made me laugh. You have made me think about my ministry and my faith and It's definitely been enriched by hearing yours.
1: Thank you, friend. Thank you so much for asking me to to be a part of it.
0: You've been listening to The Cumberland Road. Please share with others about this great podcast and the great guests who have been on and those that are upcoming. Courtney had mentioned C.S. Lewis, so I want to close with a quote from his book, Miracles, pertaining to his transformation a follower of Christ. Lewis writes, It is always shocking to meet life where we thought we were alone. Look out, we cry, it's alive. And therefore, this is the very point at which so many draw back. I would have done so myself if I could and proceed no further with Christianity. An impersonal God? Well and good. A subjective God? beauty truth and goodness inside our own heads better still a formless life force surging through us a vast power which we can tap best of all but god himself alive pulling at the other end of the cord perhaps approaching at an infinite speed the hunter king husband that is quite another matter